When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast the combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rodrigo de Paul transfer rumour of the podcast. Please, please just get on with it. And I'm joined by the shameless fans contacting potential players on social media of the podcast, Joe Hill. What are you doing that for, you mugs? And finally, the 4-0 loss of the under-23s of the podcast, promising in spells, but in the end offering very little. It's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I was wondering who was going to get the Darren end of the introduction, so... <laughs> how do you feel? You've been selected. I, I, I quite like it, to be honest. It's quite. I feel honoured, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe Hill, maybe we'll put you in the same slot next week and we, you can experience the, the, what it feels like to be Darren on a weekly basis. How does that feel for you? <laughs> I know. I think I've been safe, actually, since, since coming on this podcast. I don't think I've been in that slot, so uh, I'll be looking forward to see what you come up with. It's coming for you. It's coming for you, Joe. You can never be safe. Yeah, there's just going to be a massive one. It's just all building up. <laughs> In reference to my uh, to my name, I- I'm not sure about all that contacting players on social media. I'm, uh, it just seems to be going on a bit too much now, and I think people are just wasting their time messaging messaging them and looking at who what tweets they're liking and looking what planes <laughs> are leaving the airports and. The Leeds fans are just absolutely mental, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Good job none of them listen to this podcast after that introduction anyway. <laughs> That's all I can say. Right, let's begin with some news. Um, the news coming out this morning was that the RB Leipzig lawyers are, I, I think the, the phrase that was used in the Yorkshire Evening Post was maybe sabre-rattling or something like that, which seems a, a bit of an old jingoistic term that I haven't heard for centuries to be honest not since I last read War and Peace anyway um, <laughs> but yeah the situation being that uh, John Kevin Augustan was due to be joining Leeds United this summer on the uh, event or in the event that Leeds United were to get promoted uh, that happened and Leeds are now claiming that because of the contractual um, obligations that were, were stipulated they don't actually have to do it because I, as far as I'm aware um, they claim that the promotion didn't actually occur until after the date where promotion in the contract suggested that it was going to take place and so it sounds as though we're trying to um, 
getting them on the details. Um, it, it sounds as though RB Leipzig are not going to take this very lightly, and so it sounds as though it's going to go to the the, the law courts. Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. How do you feel about this situation? Is it just a, an, an, an annoyance at a point in time when we need to be really thinking about bringing in uh, stronger squad players? Yeah, I think it is an annoyance. I think um, for Rajasani and Orta, they're just going to be, you know, they need to be thinking about other things at this stage. They don't, they don't want that, and they don't want Leipzig to be saying publicly that they're going to step it up and take legal action. It's kind of the last thing that they want, especially when the transfer market is is still open. Um, but it's just one of those weird grey areas, like the um, the Messi case was similar in some ways um and i think we'll probably see contracts be uh be worded a bit differently in the future for for every other player that's going to sign um for any club there'll be a, a pandemic clause or you know lots of clauses such as this one to stop this in the future force majeure clauses whatever they call them um tom how do you feel about this given that it looks as though if we are going to have to pay out a hefty sum it may well reduce our transfer budget this time around you've got to hope that um if we do have to buy him that it does it means we don't miss out on basically rodrigo de paul or any players like that and you also wonder if we do end up looking at these loan to buy options in the future if clubs will be put off doing it with Leeds because of what's happened in this case yeah, it is very much interesting in in that respect, and I think also interesting in the in the immediate future of Jean Kevin Augustin, um, because presumably if we end up having to stump up money for him, he becomes our player. Um, how do we how do you deal with having a player on your books who isn't going to get played, who everyone knows is probably shot as a player and and probably isn't going to have any sell on value? How would you go around uh, solving that one, Tom? I think well, he'd probably. I don't know because he's he's too good for the under twenty threes probably isn't he? And we've we've actually got more than one striker now, so it's not, it's not like we'd even somehow might need might need him at some point. Um, you, you just gotta hope that if it does happen, he doesn't become one of those players where he's just on the books for five years and then we have to just try and get him off every summer and then he never leaves. It's a bit like Wasim mm. Boy or someone like that. He is starting to look a little bit like a very expensive problem. Um, but I guess we'll see how all of this plays out. Leeds are playing tonight in the Carabao Cup. We haven't really done much stuff on on this, uh, on the channel for, for interests of time mainly. How are you feeling about the uh, Carabao Cup competition, Joe? I'm quite excited for it, actually. Um I'm quite excited to see some of the players that have been on the bench or on the fringes. Um, thinking of like Perveda, Shackleton probably getting 90 minutes, like Douglas. Um, it'd be great to see him. Just, I think there's a few players like that that could really uh, do with this cup um, just to get them some minutes and just to show Bielsa what they're made of and give them a full 90 because uh, you know what Bielsa's like. He doesn't tend to rotate much. So I think uh, if it wasn't for this competition players like Douglas and Pervader probably wouldn't get much of a look in. So I'm quite excited for it, yeah. Tom, what do you think the, the lineup's going to look like? Do you think it'll be quite first-team heavy, or do you think there will be a lot of space for, for fringe players? I think it'll be similar to, like, we'd saw uh, Derby at the end of the season. Um, just like, not just the players that are sober, but the players, like, just a mix of under-23s and uh, first-team players. You'd think that uh, Rodrigo would play to just get a start, and he'd play, uh, again, Cock just to get some minutes. But it'd be interesting if he plays Stroik with 
Cock or Cooper if he's fit. So it's like get Cooper and Cock's first game done. Yeah, just for the avoidance of doubt, I suspect all of the players will be sober when they play. Um, <laughs> I don't think Tom was suggesting anything otherwise. On the subject of Cock and um, Rodrigo, Joe, what do you, do you would you be happier with those two both getting minutes under their belt? Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be good to see them. And I agree with Tom that if Cooper's fit, I think I would I would start both of them just to get some some match time under their belt, playing as a centre back pairing before. Uh, before the game this weekend, and yeah, I think I'd much prefer to see them playing, scoring goals in a in a proper competitive match than sort of being saved and playing in a murderable session instead. So that game is tonight. I think it is available if you can shell out tens of pounds to to <laughs> Carabao Live or whatever their their channel is called. Um, but we will. I think I will probably be doing some kind of video analysis, hopefully, on that game um, on Friday, depending on whether or not I can get a rip of the the video. Um, but yeah, there will be some there'll be something done on the channel looking back at what happens in that game against Hull. How do we feel about the fact that it is against Hull? Is it is it just a game where we should really be easing past them at this point? They've dropped down a division. They've lost all their players. Um, yeah, how, how do we feel about about Hull being the the, um, the the rivals in this in this situation, Tom? We should be able to get past them pretty straightforward, really. Like they're not with well, us two leagues between us for a reason, and even if we put out half a first team we should just be able to get past them pretty easily you'd think yeah in terms of just the, the tournament in general do you think that Bielsa will be taking it seriously I mean in his time at the club we've never really gone deep in in either the FA Cup or the or the League Cup so is is there going to be a, a sense in which now that we've got a slightly reduced schedule with a fewer teams in the Premier League that he'll be happy to to make the most of these midweek fixtures given that we got into routines of doing those sort of weekend week week game fixtures um, over and over again in in the championship, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. The the players have have shown the past two years that they're fit enough to play Saturday midweek, another Saturday, another midweek. Um, and we went out early. Uh, we went out of the competition early last year, didn't we? I think it was even in August or if not September. I think we lost to Stoke, I think, in the... We lost to Stoke and we lost to Preston the year before. Yeah, that's right, I think it was. yeah. And they were both in the second round of the of the competition. And and both times Bielsa really expressed his frustration at, at going out and it, it, he really showed that he did want to go far in the competition to give these players uh, an opportunity to get full 90 minutes. So I think Bielsa will be taking it very seriously. Right, transfer update. Um, we'll keep this short because I think everyone's sort of... Uh, up to the eyeballs in this anyway. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul still being touted around Europe by his agent. There's talk now of of Leeds maybe trying to go for a loan to buy option, um, so as to be able to afford it. I suspect. Um, yeah, Tom, how how are we feeling about Rodrigo de Paul? Obviously, I mean, obviously, all the fans want him. He would be a great uh, addition to our to our team. How how likely do you think it is at this point? Do you do you expect he will eventually end up at Elland Road or not? Um, I'm optimistic. I think it, if it's going to happen, I reckon it's, it's probably going to be deadline day. Um, once the agents just gone around all the clubs in Italy and none of them buy him, I think we might have a chance then. But we, Leeds don't really do well on deadline day, do they? So <laughs> I'd rather avoid that if we can. Stay up. Don't go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but at the moment it's it's not looking good. But I, I do think there there is still a chance it could get done. And then the other area of interest is the centre back area. We've we've heard that Yoshko Gvardiol 
um, may or may not be coming again. I, I wonder whether or not this is dependent on what happens with the Jean-Claude Van Augustin, um situation. But a centre-back, what do you feel about this, Joe? Do we need a centre-back going into this season at the moment? I guess we've got Koch and Cooper starting centre-back, Strauch as a as a backup, and then uh, and then I suppose you're looking at Luke Ayling moving across, or then one of the youngsters coming in as well. How do you feel about the the centre-back situation? I think I feel exactly the same as I did uh, months ago, and and that I have done for a couple of years. Is that we we are a centre-back light at least. Um, I do like to see two players for every position. So, um, you know, most teams would be looking at four centre-backs at, at least in a squad. Um, and Stroik has, has proven that, you know, he can play at the, at the top level. He, he did okay against Liverpool and he did well towards the end of last season. Um, but that doesn't mean that we, you know, we suddenly don't need a centre-back because if Cooper has a long-term injury or... Even even for a few weeks, you know, if, I don't know if he's fit this weekend or not, but we can't be looking at Stroik and Cock being our our centre back pairing for for a long period of time. I, I think we really do need to strengthen in that area. The under twenty threes kicked off their Premier League two campaign this week with a four nil loss versus Stoke. Um, I, we're not going to talk about this too much, but uh, what I will say is that we are thinking about doing a monthly um, uh, podcast, which will bring together hopefully the youth system and also the uh, the women's team um, results and we'll bring on experts in those um, various areas and, and have chats with them so that's something to look out for that will probably be going up on our patreon page but that will be a, a sort of monthly roundup which will give you the news on the ground for, for the youth systems and and also the women's team so keep an eye out for that um I did watch that game, um, although I had to leave uh, at half-time to go and play football myself um, and had a much more fruitful time than the under-23s <laughs> in many respects, so um, make of that what you will. Um, but I thought the under-23s the under actually looked very good in possession. Um, we didn't play any centre-backs. We played a 3-3-1-3 with Cody Drama and on the right and Bryce Hosanna on the left and Jenkins in the middle, who, as far as I'm aware, isn't a centre-back. Um but they, they, in possession of the ball, they, they controlled it really well. I thought um, they maybe didn't cause Stoke as many problems as they could. Um, Joe Gelhart did miss a penalty, I saw. Um, Joe, Stoke, Stoke's goalkeeper was immense. He was very tall um, and, and looked very threatening. And, and also um, Ryan Shawcross played. And I think when you see, again, when you see sort of under 23s players against senior players like that you are aware of the physical um uh chasm that exists between youth players and, and senior players but they, they they played very well um i, I was Im- Im- impressed by robbie gotts i thought played really well sam greenwood looks different gravy looks really good it's good to see him brought in gelhart is a, an interesting player who who has guile has a turn of pace it looks um tricky um, and so it'll be fun to watch the the under 23s this season and it just seems as though it may be the case of um, I mean in the first half they gave up a corner within 30 seconds which they conceded um, and they gave away a penalty as well midway through the half and other than that Stoke didn't really trouble them so it may be a case of the under 23s maybe looking a little bit naive uh, in in this division at first um, but I, I suppose that's the that's the question with the under twenty three is if they are a feeder team to the first team, then you want them playing the same sort of football that the first team are playing, um, and so it may be worth us as sort of sacrificing a little bit of um, uh, of bloody mindedness and, and efficiency on on the p- pitch in order that we can be confident that we bring the players 
We'll leave the under-23s there and we will move on to talk about Fulham because this is the Fulham preview episode. I hope I've got that right because I've been getting preview and review mixed up um, endlessly here. But this is the Fulham preview because we are looking forward to the Fulham game. And this week I was lucky enough to talk to Jack J. Collins of the Fulhamish podcast and Bleacher Report and this is what he had to say. So Jack, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I mean, not the start that we wanted, but but alas, <laughs> Arsenal. It's uh, it was always going to be a tough game, and and kind of it starts from here, I reckon. So we'll see, mm. we'll see how we go. It feels like yesterday that we were talking. It's probably because it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> um, it's been a, it's been an interesting time since then. What's what's happened for Fulham since since we last chatted? Well, I mean, we spoke before the Leeds game in the Championship. So what was that? April, and uh, and we kind of hit that that period where it was, you know, we we lost that game, we lost the Brentford game, and I think there were big questions about whether Fulham would finish in a playoff spot. Um, so, so to be sitting here talking about a Premier League fixture between our two clubs, I mean, something's gone right, which is good. I mean, we went off the back of that that Leeds loss where we started quite well, uh, and then from there you know, fell away. Uh, it was the, you know, the end of our kind of losing run and, and we didn't lose another game. Well, we lost to, to Cardiff in the in, in the semi-final second leg, but we didn't lose another meaningful game that from there to the end of the season. And I think that there was a lot of worry about Scott Parker. There was a lot of worry about the side, but from that point onwards and, and pretty much from that game onwards, he, he showed that kind of grit and guile that we hadn't really seen for the rest of the season. And Fuller managed to put together an incredible end to the season, uh, one that stretched all the way into the playoffs. And so I think we're we're learning. Uh, we, we definitely learned towards the end of last season. Um, and, and now we're sort of sitting in this new position where we're not sure if this is going to be exactly like last time. And I think the way that there's no fans, et cetera, et cetera, it all just feels a little bit off. So, so I know that it, things are reasonably okay in the Fulham camp. It is quite settled. Um, but I think there are nerves as well, as much as anything else. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because to go straight to Scott Parker, it feels as though Fulham fans have been sitting on the fence with him and saying all along, We'll see how you do in the championship. And if you get us into the Premier League, then fair enough. And yeah. you're in a situation where he's done that. Um, so how how do you feel about that now going into the Premier League again with, with Scott Parker, who had a pretty ignominious time of it in the Premier League last time around? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of a free hit for him last time around. We were basically already relegated. I think we had games against Liverpool and Chelsea. And if we lost both, we were relegated and we duly lost both and, and were relegated. So it was one of those things where he kind of got that free hit, but he did get the side kind of going again. And he did take a, he took a a side that was, was down in the dumps and, and started to reinvigorate it. And he's spoken at length about the fact that the dressing room was one that was, it had a, a terrible mentality. It was, it was broken. It was shattered as, as a spirit. And, and half of this season has been trying to get that, you know, get that mentality and spirit back in the right place. And he seems to have done that. So, I mean, I wrote an article before the playoffs saying that what Scott Parker had done over the course of the year was basically started to learn his lessons uh, and, and take the mistakes he made. And he made plenty of mistakes. There's like no no bones about it. Uh, but but took them and learned from them in a way that perhaps other managers don't. We we saw him change his style from, from game to game and, and actually learn from those mistakes, culminating in that win over Brentford in the playoff final. Now, if you looked at the game, the first game back after the restart where we played Brentford, 
Brentford. And I went on Fulham straight after that and said... Scott Parker was tactically outplayed by a, a superior coach in, in Thomas Frank, who took the game by the scruff of the neck and, and changed the game to his advantage and beat Fulham. You know, his changes changed the game. And Scott Parker waiting and being a, kind of a reactive rather than proactive manager was the type of term I used at the time, was kind of the, the whole reason Fulham fell apart in the end of that game. Now, you fast forward to the playoff final, and I think, Scott Parker tactically outclassed Thomas Frank and it was a man who the media were falling over themselves to praise and I think that what you look at in in that kind of that's kind of I know symptomatic perhaps of the entire season what they have done is learned these you know he's learned from his mistakes taken the lessons from each and every every time he's played against a manager and, and, and kind of fast forward them into what Fulham were doing so I think Sparker deserves a chance. I, I think he will probably get the season unless something goes drastically wrong. Um, although I said that about Stavisi Jakanovic, so, so so who really knows? But I think that there is a, a relationship building where Fulham think that, OK, even if we go down again, Scott Parker has the chops, as he's shown, to get us up. And and I think the contracts being renewed of, of players like Dennis Adoy, of Joe Bryan, of Josh Onomer is... It's kind of testament to the fact that these players are, you know, somewhere between the Championship and the Premier League. If I, if I'm honest, I think that's where, but they're kind of fitting, and 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 it's kind of if we go down, we are we are locked in to a load of different players who who we know can do it in the Championship. So I think there is a kind of sense that this season seems to be a give it your best shot. Don't absolutely you know wreck it. Don't come twentieth, twenty points off, but be in the scrap. And if it does go wrong, then there's going to be you know. Uh, a future for Scott Parker and for this club. How was the summer for you? Um, there's been a fair amount of, of business for you in terms of the squad. Are you happy with where the squad has ended up? I'm starting to become happier, uh, I think is the truth. that We, we picked up three players last week in Olaina from Torino, Kenny Tete from, from Lyon and Alphonse Ariola from PSG. So it was that was a good week. Uh, I think Fulham... I'd, you're desperately, basically, in need of a centre-back. I know we'll discuss um, Tim Ream and Michael Hector's performances a little bit more, but I think we're starting to make signings in the right areas. We were crying out for a right-back. We were crying out for, for some defensive reinforcements, and we've therefore brought in, you know, Robinson, Aina, Ariola, and there's a little bit of drama as to whether, with Ariola coming in, Rodak was probably our player of the season last year, and so is he going to be shoved out by a Champions League calibre keeper, if you will. And, and there's a little bit of umming and ahhing in the fan base over whether that's a good thing. But I, I think having a keeper of Ariola's calibre has got to be a positive. I think Tete will be a net positive at right back. I just think that, you know, Fulham bringing back Anguissa, uh, bringing in Harrison Reed on a permanent, you know, Mario Lamina is a bit of an unknown quantity and, uh, and potentially the outlier in this situation. But it seems that we've spent more wisely than last time around, that we're, we're gambling a little bit less on just whacking huge fees on people. We're looking at loans with options. We're looking at low fees that uh, allow us to kind of exp- explore these options before we make them permanent. And if that's the case, I'm reasonably happy. I think we need two centre-backs and probably two wingers, if I'm honest. But I don't see them coming in till towards the end of the window. And despite that fairly um, busy summer, you've come out against Arsenal with a largely unchanged eleven. Yeah. How did the fans feel about that? I think people were reasonably okay with it, purely because the signings came in you know, last week. I think if you'd looked at if Kenny Tete had been in... 
for two weeks, three weeks, you would have imagined that he would have started. Um, and the same with even the returning players, the likes of Anguissa. Um, we're not, we're still not sure whether John Michel Seri is going to have a future at the club if he's going to play. Um, that's all just a bit weird. But on on the whole, you know, we we kind of hoped that we'd see Anguissa play, that Kenny Tete would play, that maybe Ariola would play. But considering they've all been back at the club a week or so and given the truncated nature of the window and the fact that it was only you know less than a month between the playoff final and the first game of the season I think people were okay with the idea that we're going to have to embed people in slightly slowly and given the the fact that I think last time round when we came up to the Premier League we started the first day with seven new signings on the pitch um it and it you know all went <laughs> similarly wrong I think people are more okay with with people being kind of assimilated and, and brought into the side slowly and, and and letting them kind of find their groove within the team before just chucking them in at the deep end and how do you think that's gonna work itself out in the next few weeks do you expect there to be new players brought in against Leeds yeah, I would say so. I mean, we've obviously both got weird kind of uh, Carabao Cup ties in, in the middle of these two games, which I, I'd imagine is going to be, you know, a, a strange kind of element in that do you now try and blood the new people midweek and then risk them not being fit for sun Saturday or so there's there's lots of kind of strange questions about why there's a Carabao Cup Friday in the middle of this week. But but alas, it is what it is. And we've got to kind of deal with it. I think that we'll see a change at right back. I can't imagine that Dennis Adoy is going to get the nod there again. What I wouldn't be surprised at, given the nature of how the two centre-backs performed, is to see Dennis Adoy shifted into the middle. Now, I don't particularly like it as a as a situation, but if we're going to be looking at trying to stop these kind of lightning counters and a little bit of pace at the back might stand us in slightly better stead. So I, I would potentially suggest that we will see Anguissa start, we will see Mitrovic start, and we will see maybe Kenny Tete start a right back for, for the Leeds game. One conspicuous absentee at the weekend was Alexander Mitrovic. What was the deal there? So obviously he finished the, the end of last season with an injury. He didn't start in either the playoff semi-finals or the playoff final. Um, came on on you know, 90 minutes pretty much to play extra time. Um, he's played for Serbia in the international break. So he is obviously starting to get back to full fitness. I think it's a combination of two things. I would suggest that Scott Parker is still not 100% convinced that he is fully fit. Um, and I think that Parker wanted to play a little bit more transitionally, a little bit more on the counter, uh, which worked you know, reasonably well in the playoff final. Uh, against Arsenal and thus the excuse that Mitrovic was potentially not fully fit was probably one that peddled quite nicely into his thinking of how Fulham were going to play and how we were going to set up so I'd imagine it's a combination of those I I don't think there's anything too much to read into it I'll imagine when Mitrovic is fully fit and and firing again he will be he'll be starting almost every game so it's just one of those things where him I think Parker was experimenting a little bit but what we noticed was that Fulham couldn't get out of their own half and make it stick uh, and, and that's what Mitrovic gives you so I would imagine that he uh, he will be assimilated back into the side in in reasonably rapid fashion well let's talk about the Arsenal game from the weekend one of the things that we've just done in our podcast is sort of trying to determine how much you can really take away from a game against a team like Liverpool or Arsenal um, did you learn anything from it as Fulham fans or was it just a case of being a game against the one of the big six so you can sort of afford to lose it I mean I think last time we went into too many different things suggesting that they were a free hit you know you look at if you if you do that then you're writing off 12 games of the season already if you just count the big six you know home and away you're you're suddenly putting yourself at a, a huge disadvantage and even if you do lose all 12 of those games you 
you know, to, to look at them a free hit is wrong. And I think given that Arsenal were in in reasonably good form, I think they're going to be a very decent side this season. I'm quite hot on Arsenal as a whole. Um, but you know, I don't think you can look at things as free hits, especially at home. You know, I think the Leeds game away to the champions, I think you can look at as more of a free hit because, you know, very few teams go to, to Anfield and get anything. I mean, very few teams go to Anfield and score three goals. So, they're, they're, I mean, net positives. But it is one of those things where for us, I, I didn't want to look at Arsenal as a free hit. But as soon as you concede a sloppy goal on three minutes, you know, you know you're going to be in for a long afternoon. And I think that kind of completely undone the game plan. What I learned from it was that Fulham need players that can carry the ball in transition um I, I thought both of our wingers were like devastatingly ineffective um and it was one of those really painful things to watch where all we needed was to release the pressure valve a little bit more occasionally and and mistakes happen but mistakes happen because you get put under the cosh again and again and again and again and ultimately if we are not gonna create chances if we're not going to be able to carry the ball out of our own half then, then we're going to invite pressure and invite mistakes. So I think what I learned is that Fulham need to need to be more on the front foot. I know it's easy to say and more difficult to implement against a side as good as Arsenal, but if Fulham aren't going to try and play on the front foot, we're going to really struggle against teams, especially at home, uh, as we get penned in more and more and more. Uh, and so uh, that's what I learned. I think we need transitional players, and I think we need, you know, after, before this, I was looking at it and going, right, two centre-backs and we'll be absolutely fine. Um, and now I'm looking at it and going, two centre-backs and two wingers, and we'll maybe be okay. So we'll see how we go. Tactically, it looks as though Parker changed things up a little. Mm. It looked to me like a 4-2-3-1 with Kearney playing in the double pivot along with Reed, And uh, Cavaliero brought in as a wide attacker with Cabano shifted out onto the opposite wing. Um, and... Onoma was given the ten slot. Um, something that I um, I think is a good idea, but you you maybe uh, mentioned before we came on that you have questions about this. Um, we've already well, I've, I put we've already talked about Kamara. We haven't really t- already talked about Kamara, but um, Kamara was was preferred up front. Let's just talk about the formation before we get into the ins and outs of of who is playing where. Is this formation just Parker giving the team a little bit more protection in defence in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's one of those strange ones where there was a lot of talk about us doing a 4-3-3 last season. I I think we actually did play a 4-2-3-1 a lot of the time with with Tom Kearney being that eight. I have massive reservations about this. Now, I know why Kearney likes this. Kearney likes the eight slot because he gets the ball more. He's able to dictate from deep a little bit more. And he, he basically gets himself involved in the game. Whereas at the 10, especially in games like the weekend, you see Tom Kenny get a little bit lost. But what I struggle with is, yes... Josh Onomer is good in the 10 because he presses aggressively. He, he you know, he does give you more energy and more attrition in that kind of front four. But I, I struggle with the idea that, that Tom Kearney offers you that as an eight. And, and basically, I'd swap them around. I, I think that... I don't think Tom Kearney would do this because I don't think he's happy not receiving the ball for 90% of the game. And I think that's basically the entire reason why he's dropped into this eight role. But I don't think that Josh Onua pulls the strings in that final third in the way that Fulham need. And especially with a front three that was so fast and, and can be so dynamic. We didn't see much of it, but can be so dynamic. I think you need someone that's able to, to kind of dictate the play. And in the playoff final, Tom Kenny could do that from the eight role because he was playing opposition who who were of a similar if not a slightly lower caliber in terms of the players in the middle but you can't do that in a team which has higher caliber players because you don't get the the moment to pick the pass and so I actually 
think that I would rather Josh Onma kind of playing that more attritional eight role and Tom Kearney being able to dictate when we get the ball into the opposition half, into the final third, Tom Kearney being the one pit pulling the passes because he's just better at it. You know, one one thing that Tom Kearney's always been good at is playing that slide rule pass into, into a runner. Uh, and so that's what I'm struggling with at the moment. I don't think Fulham are showing themselves to have a 10, if you will, who's able to, to, to break down teams. And especially if we are going to play, you know, counter-attacking football and if we are going to play on the on the transition, I think you need someone that's going to be able to pick that pass. And I don't think that Josh Unner is that player, much as I love him. I'd rather him kind of carrying from deep and, and pulling us up the pitch because because I think that's what he's best at. But I think it will be a 4-2-3-1 for the majority of the season. And I guess off the back of that then, how does Parker approach the Leeds game? Do you go back to last season's 4-3-3 or do you stick with the 4-2-3-1? I mean, you've suggested that there may be a little bit of a crossover between what was happening anyway. Is it just going to be the 4-2-3-1 with Kearney getting forward a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa will come in. Uh, he came on about 70 minutes of the weekend and he looks still a class above he did really well in the end of last season after quite a tricky start I mean it might be easier to say this after you've been relegated that you can come in and have three man of the match performances but you know he he really did look like he was improving he seems to have a good relationship with Scott Parker and last year at Villarreal he was absolutely exceptional in the middle of their midfield as they made that run to the Europa League and fifth in La Liga I thought he was you know phenomenal and I hope that he's going to be an integral part of this season I think that he is very much one of those players that could be the difference uh, between Fulham you know staying up or, or, or going down it's that simple as far as I'm concerned he he's that good a player and I hope that over the course of the season he's able to you know make that happen and and make that a realism because ultimately if he's on form I think Fulham will tick a little bit better and and so I think we might see Angisa, Reed, and Kearney in front of them which will be more of a 4-3-3 because I think Kearney will drop in you know, towards them in a way that maybe Onoma doesn't. But uh, I mean, it's up for, I guess it's up for uh, for Scott Parker to decide. And uh, and we'll see, I think we'll get more of an idea of what he plans to do this season with the way he sets up at Leeds. Just one more question about your um, starting lineup. Questions have been raised about your centre-back partnership mm. after the game. It sounds as though you're in the Reem and Hector are good enough camp. Is that true? Um, I love both, you know, Tim Ream has been an incredible servant to the club uh, and Michael Hector last year when he came in genuinely changed the way that Fulham, you know, operated. It, w- it was very much one of those things where you saw, you know, I don't want to compare, I don't want to do the whole like very lazy Virgil van Dijk comparison, but, you know, when, when, when Virgil van Dijk came in at Liverpool, you saw a change immediately and we saw something similar at Fulham last year when Michael Hector came in. He looked assured, he looked composed uh, and actually with him in the back line, Fulham looked like a very different unit. Now, after the lockdown and when we restarted he didn't quite have the same oomph uh, and he made some quite silly mistakes and some other you know strange kind of goings on that, that didn't look like the Hector that had come back in January and and yesterday he looked a little bit shaky again so it is one of those things where I think Michael Hector will come good but I am slightly concerned about how long it's going to take him to get to that level to get back up to speed I think Tim Ream it's it's just slightly past it, and um, and while he's been an incredible servant, and I massively hope he sticks around at the club, I, I really hope that he he goes on to to become a coach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But right now, I think we need another left centre back, and I think that will shore up Hector as well because he won't be having to pace cover for two defenders. 
It's a weird situation that we're in that Leeds are now playing Fulham so soon after they last played them and the, the match has a completely different valence this season given that it's this is now a must-win game for both of us for survival rather than for promotion. How, how are you feeling about this fixture with that in mind? It's a strange one, isn't it? it it's, I mean, I guess the that valence is that we, we've been here and done this kind of relegation scrap a couple of times in in recent history and and I guess for the last few years at least you know you've been you've been kind of pushing at the top end of the table and looking at looking at where where things are going now I know that the last 16 years haven't haven't been kind in, in many regards and 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 all of those things but I think in recent history Fulham have more experience in what a relegation scrap entails now I don't know if that's going to help or hinder us. Uh, I think something that we learned from the weekend is that that Leeds are going to be fearless and and especially for the first bit of the season it's going to be that kind of like right let's go out and get a mentality and I thought you'd spring out of the blocks uh, I really did I thought you would absolutely blitz out of the blocks and and potentially fall away in the second half of the season but it's now one of those things where where Fulham have to be very very careful here because if you know, Fulham lose 1-0 or 2-1 then then yes it's a very bad result in terms of what a relegation fight might come and look like in April but ultimately it's a result you can recover from if Fulham go out and get blitzed 4 5 nil, then one it will give Leeds incredible confidence for the season and is at this point I think it's a distinct possibility given how fast you looked at the weekend and how slow we looked at recovering transitions um but that said I, I am worried you know I, I would say that if if Fulham can can capitalise and, and and start to make things uncomfortable and 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 really take advantage of the fact that I thought you were quite easy to play through uh, for large portions of, of the weekend. Now it's Liverpool, so you've got to take that with a pinch of salt. But um, if we could capitalise on that, I think it would be a really really hard blow. You know, after such an impressive start and and, and a start that has impressed so many people around the football world, um, I would then say that if Fulham can strike a blow through you know through that then then it will hit very hard because it will be one of those things where you think oh okay you could you lose to Liverpool but losing to Fulham at home is a desperate result yeah it's a funny one as well because the last time we played we obviously came away 3-0 winners but in, in many respects in the first half you can control the game and we we sort of picked you off on the break and um, yeah. you know that's all well and good when it works out but it, it, it's not always going to work out and so for me going into this game it's a sort of an interesting um test run for seeing how it's going to look a second time around so yeah i certainly think there's there's plenty on the line here um in terms of the lineup how do you think you'll line up on saturday so i think we will end up i think rodak will keep his spot for one more game so i'm going to say rodak tete hector ream because at the moment we have zero other options um and joe bryan at left back i think we'll have angisa with reed and tom kearney in the middle and then I think he will go with Kamara wide, Mitrovic through the middle, and maybe Anthony Knockart on the right. Um, that that's what I would suggest. Um, but I probably would have gone with that lineup <laughs> on Saturday, and we we saw Scott Parker keep faith with, with the voice he brought him up. So I, I'm intrigued to see how much leeway he gives his promotion winning squad before he starts to tinker with it. I've put here, which players do you expect to perform well against Leeds? I guess maybe the question is a little bit more, which players need to perform well against Leeds in particular? Um, I mean, obviously the centre-backs could do with some some bolstering. So um, a good defensive performance would go a long way. Um, we probably see, I would suggest, maybe 
maybe one debut uh, in Kenny Tete or or Laina. So I, I think a, a debutant is always under pressure to perform well. Uh, and but it's I mean the man I mentioned already Angisa for me I think he is due a big performance a big performance in the middle of the field to to kind of really stop this this heartbeat working and if he can get on the ball and dictate from the middle I think it will go a long way to Fulham being able to get something from the game. And how do you expect the game to go? I would expect us to be less in control than we were the last time round when we played you. Um, we will look to keep the ball, I think, but probably slightly more, well, slightly more passively. Um, and I would expect us to not necessarily play for the nil-nil, but but very much be aware that, that a clean sheet would be very, very important to us and that something that we're going to have to learn to do this year as Fulham fans is that Fulham are going to try and win ugly, I think. And, and ultimately, I think that's going to be the case here. This is the kind of game where if we can stifle and frustrate, um, then then things are going to be different. I think we'll look at the way that Liverpool played against you and think, right, if, if, if Leeds can cut Liverpool open that easily, then they can cut us open that easily or, or more easily. So it is one of those things where I think we will look to be a little bit tighter, uh, a little bit more attritional. I would imagine you will see quite a lot of niggly fouls from Fulham and, and we'll try and break up play. So I don't think we're going to be pretty um, at the weekend, but I, I think we will we will try and basically keep it as a low scorer and hopefully try and nick it. So that would be the way I think Scott Parker will set up. Well, Jack, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. Um, if our listeners want to catch up with the stuff that you're doing elsewhere, what's the best way of them going about doing that? Yeah, I'm at Jack J. Collins uh, and all for all Fulham things. Uh, we're at, at Fulhamish Pod on pretty much every platform. Cool. Well, thanks so much and enjoy the game if you can. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see how we go. <laughs> but, um, but thank you for having me, John. Appreciate it. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So that was Jack J. Collins of Fulhamish Podcast and Bleacher Report. Tom, what did you make of what Jack had to say? Um, I thought it was uh, really interesting. and I agreed with a few of the things that he said. Um, so it was about that Parker seemed to improve um, post-Leeds. He seemed to sort of have a bit of understanding of what he was trying to do. Um, and that kind of showed in the playoff final, I thought. Like, he, he didn't, he sort of nullified 
Brentford, which again was all he needed to do in that match. I think I think Jack described it as a tactical masterclass, though, which I won't go that far. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely agreed with that. And he also mentioned, and I thought it was interesting how he was talking about um, Fulham's experience in a relegation um, battle, which obviously we don't have. And I'm not sure if having no experience of going down is better than having some experience of going down. <laughs> a but, bad experience yeah. of going down. <laughs> um, I'm sure that'll come out in the wash at the end. Yeah, it is, it is interesting, and this is something that I've really been fascinated by, um, like the extent to which Scott Parker is good or bad. Um, because um, I've just written in the, the tactics preview, which will be going up tomorrow morning, that um, actually when you look at what Parker has been good at and what he's been bad at, I feel as though he, off the ball... His Fulham teams are really quite uh, interesting. They're quite good at high pressing. They have a quite a good structural awareness of what to do under uh, in in a sort of high press situation. But on the ball, Fulham seem to have the same old problems, which are sort of ponderous build up play, really slow moving the ball around, and it seems as though the best ideas they can come up with in terms of build up and, and chance creation is just moving the ball into wide areas and trying to get it to. Um, a striker, a sort of big man striker, be it Abubakar Kamara or um, Alexander Mitrovic. Um, I don't know if you picked up any on on any of that, Joe. How did you? What was there anything else that you picked up on from from what Jack had to say? Yeah, I mean, he did. He he touched on uh, the Mitrovic thing, didn't he? And he and he he said that uh, he didn't feel that Fulham could really get out of their half um, without Mitrovic, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I will be expecting to see Mitro start the game. I think he was just coming back from international break and, uh, you know, he wasn't fully fit for it. Um, so, but he seemed, he also seemed to talk a lot about their starting 11 and how, you know, last week wasn't necessarily their best starting 11 and he'd be expecting to see a fair few changes, um, which is really interesting because from a Leeds point of view, I think. Well, with the exception of Cooper, um, you know, whether he starts or not, everyone else is probably just going to keep their place. Um, and, and we all know that. We all know how Bielsa works. But with uh, with Parker, you know, it's this kind of will he, won't he with the, with the new players or with the team that got them promoted. So that was really interesting to hear him talking in depth about that. Yeah, and again, something that I mentioned in the um, in the tactics preview is, is that Fulham are playing a different system out of possession. Um, with this four-two-two-two sort of setup that they have, which I think was quite smart against Arsenal's three-four-three, uh, because it just allowed them to ring off the the central midfielders a little bit and then press them in certain ways that that caused them, I think, caused them real problems in the first half. Um, obviously, with the with the caveat again that you know it's you know football isn't simply about stopping the other team from scoring; it's also about creating chances of your own. But um, I think that raises questions about how Scott Parker will approach this 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 game because something that I I mentioned in the tactics preview is that the the four two 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 off the ball um, structure works really well against against Arsenal's three four three but I don't think it will work quite so well against Leeds's four one four one and so the question then becomes well well how do you respond to playing against Leeds do you go back to playing the same sorts of formation that you played in the championship when you were playing against Leeds if you're Fulham um, and I, I do think that raises some really interesting questions it seemed as though to me anyway in the Arsenal game Tom Kearney was being played 
as a, in a double pivot with Harrison Reed. So they were both playing quite deep. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why they didn't look very dangerous going forward because they just had too many players back in their own half um, doing during the build-up phase. And I think they they could have just done with having one of those two players pushing forward so that there was a little bit more um, uh, coverage in, in, in forward areas. Um, but the last time that we played was 3-0 in June against um, yeah, Elland Road and they played that 4-3-3 that they played last season with, with Kearney pushing up. They had Ariata playing actually, um, who obviously isn't in the picture now, um, but he sort of sat in a little bit deeper as well. So I guess the question then becomes a personnel one. Who do you play in that in that maybe slightly deeper role? Do you stick with Kearney, who is traditionally like a creative 10, weirdly, um, and and play uh, Josh Onoma as 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 the as the more attacking player or do you switch them around which is something that Jack suggested in his his piece as well so yeah in light of that Joe how would you think that Scott Parker will go around um, solving these issues is it a case of just going back to last season's form and thinking you know we caused Leeds a fair amount of problems really in terms of off off possession off out of possession stuff and were Leeds is finishing not as clinical as it was maybe that match would have gone a different way um or do you think you know I've, I've I'm playing a different structure in this in this league because it's a higher division I want to have more uh defensive cover at the back so do I stick with the with the sort of 4 one which can which can merge into this 4 and then I suppose um use it as a sort of training exercise for making sure your players are drilled in the new system that you're using how would you go about um sort of coming to terms with that I think I can see Scott Parker reverting to what to what he did against us in the championship um I think that's a system that they were playing a lot of the time last year and like you say the first half they really caused us a lot of problems so I'm not sure how the sort of hybrid 4-2-2-2 is gonna work against Leeds this time around um especially with this being the type of relegation scrap um, in inverted commas, since there's only been one game played, but um, you know both teams really need to win, and I think for that reason, I think Parker will revert back to the old way. Um, but something something interesting that Jack was saying uh, about whether Parker is uh, reactive or proactive, uh, he mentioned that Fulham conceded a scrappy goal against Arsenal after three minutes, and that sort of shook up their whole game plan. Um, and when he mentioned that, I thought, well, Leeds conceded a penalty against Liverpool after three minutes, but you know we still sort of stuck to our game plan. So I think that sort of tells me that Scott Parker will be a bit more reactive um, and will sort of wait for Leeds to come onto them and then see how the game develops from there rather than having a, a master plan from, from the first minute. It does seem to be his approach that he he is quite a reactive manager in the sense that he he kind of figures it certainly worked in the championship right if you can play sort of solid football and then have your elite players pull off moments then that's a good way of getting getting through games and I think that was that was pretty much how he approached the championship but um, to to then take that approach into the into the Premier League Tom maybe is is a little bit more risky how do you feel about that I don't yeah it it didn't really work for them that much last year like it's so I, I, I don't see it working long term in the Premier League really and like he's got he kind of relied on Mitrovic getting the goals um but then with with Mitrovic they're kind they're better well I, I think personally they're better defensively without him playing um so it'll be a test for Parker do you 
keep Kamara or whoever up front and look more solid? Or do you play uh, someone like Mitrovic and who can, who can do those moments but then makes you weaker overall as a team? Like which what is what is the best setup in this league? I guess Mitrovic came on in the 60th minute, didn't he? So I wonder whether or not that will be just a general approach that they'll do, which will be try and keep it as solid as possible for the first 60 minutes and then bring on Mitrovic when the opposition are a little bit more tired and hope that he can get um, a a look in. I I don't know whether or not you'd expect him to do that against Leeds. Ben White kind of marked him out of the game last time, didn't he? Um, So it'd be be wonder if he keeps keeps with Mitrovic and sees... See if Cock can do the same job on him, which he pro- probably can't, to be honest. Uh, well, we have, we have, we don't know he can. Um, so, but I don't know. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bit unsure on that one, to be honest. <laughs> in terms of the other way around, obviously the Leeds have got to ask similar sorts of questions. In terms of, I mean, uh, Joe, you've already mentioned that that Leeds sort of have their game plan and they'll they'll go with it, um, but. However well you think Leeds played against Liverpool, we didn't play the sort of football that we really want to in possession, as far as I can, as far as I'm concerned. Um, how do you think Leeds will go about playing playing this Fulham side? How do they how do they come back from playing a game where they were largely pegged back, where they weren't able to do sort of the the, the sort of expansive build up play that they like to do? Um, it, will it simply be a case of, of of them saying, right now, this is going to be a system which actually benefits us a little bit more, we're going to have more time on the ball, um, let's cause them problems? Or do you think actually it will be much the same as last week in the sense that Liverpool did press high and Liverpool didn't really let us settle on the ball and Fulham will want to do the same kind of thing? Um, and it could be another game where, um, I mentioned this actually chatting to the Fulhamish guys this morning doing the opposite podcast for them, um, Leeds, Leeds sometimes look quite good when they're when they're sort of underdogs a little bit um and it, it it does seem to benefit their finishing in that respect um so we saw against fulham we scored three goals uh massively overperforming our xg um the same was true against liverpool we scored three goals and massively overperformed our xg um do you do you see any similarities between the fulham and liverpool games for us or do you, or do you think it will just be a completely different game I think it'll be quite different, to be honest. I think the way that Liverpool press uh, is extremely unique. Um, And the fact that Leeds were playing so aggressively, as well as Liverpool, did sort of lead it to being this goal fest. Um, And I don't think it is going to be that. I think if Fulham do press us, I mean, they would have seen the Liverpool game and they would have seen that you can get get some luck against Leeds if you do press quite high and play quite, quite aggressively. But... I think if they do do that, it will be t- sort of first 15, 20 minutes type thing where, you know, the sort of classic let them know you're there first 15 minutes and get at them. And then maybe, you know, if it's still nil nil after that stage, then save your legs and sort of sit back. And then we'll wait if Mitro comes on or we'll wait to see if there's a a, a moment of magic in the game. Um, but I, d- I do think it will be different. I think it will be more similar to the the games in the championship uh, where Leeds are dominating possession and looking to break sides down rather than last week. Yeah, and with that in mind, I, I guess what what would you say that the areas of weakness that um, that Fulham have are that make them vulnerable vulnerable to Leeds? I think we've we've already mentioned um, with with Jack um, that the centre back partnership is already being questioned by by Fulham, uh, and I think they're they're you know we can say all we want about their 
high pressing system being quite effective in 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 many respects but it does leave them exposed at the back um do you think that that that's the key for Leeds then do we attack wide areas deep areas and try and get their um their center backs running back towards goal because I I'm just thinking back to the goals that we scored against them at Elland Road and um a lot of them were from sort of wide areas getting the ball across the box quickly and them just being out of position is that is that how you feel about it Joe yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a vulnerable area that we can attack. Um, I think if if Cock can do any type of uh, job similar to Ben White did on Mitro or whoever the front man is, then that's um, that's another uh, area that we can sort of uh, get hold of and and take advantage of. Because like uh, like Jack was saying on on his segment. They look to Mitro to be a target man and to help them get out their own half. So, I think we'll be looking for Cock to do a to a, do a job on Mitrovic or whoever the number nine is, and then yeah, we can attack in wide areas. We can see Costa and Harrison making runs in behind um, and catching them when they've just lost the ball. Uh, Tom, what formation do you think Leeds will go with? Do you think they'll just stick with their four one four one? You'd imagine so, because they probably only... It depends, really. If they go with Mitrovic as a lone striker, you'd think they'd go 4-1-4-1. But if they stick with the 4-2-2-2 like they did last week, they, they might try the three at the back, or it might be a bit of a hybrid of both. I've, I can't really... I've sat on the fence, really, there. But I would say it it, it depends um, what lineup we see from Parker more than not. And it might be Bielsa has to adapt it during the game, depending on... It might just be the reactive one, not Parker. And who do you think the will be on the Leeds uh, um, first eleven, starting eleven for this game? Then you think it's as we've said, you know, it's going to be pretty much the same unless Cooper comes in. The one I thought about was that maybe would he go without Dallas uh, because I think he struggled a bit against Fulham last time um, in the first half, especially against Knockout. So I wondered if he might be tempted to try someone else there, but realistically, Dallas is going to play every game. Um, but yeah, apart from then Cooper obviously in if he's fit. But apart from that, I think it'd be the same as we saw against Liverpool. Joe, which players do you think that we will see good performances from? Or should, again, maybe change the question to like which players do we need to see good performances from um, in order to do well against Fulham? I think if Hernandez is starting, then it would be nice if he channeled the same energy um, as our most recent game against Fulham, because. Uh, he was a bit quieter against Liverpool, and we we can't expect him to be, uh, you know, top top form every single game. But I think this is the kind of game that he would thrive in, sort of getting the ball in the middle and playing some nice through balls and just creating moments. Um, so I'm expect, especially because I think he'll probably start as he did uh, last week. I think I'm expecting a good performance from him, and I think if if Stroik does start. Um, then we'll be looking for him to put in another good performance um, alongside Cock because those two really need to, you know, settle into their dynamic as a centre back pairing because it may well be deployed on several occasions this season. Yeah, Tom, do you want to add any other players that you would like to see play well? Uh, yeah, attacking wise, I think it'd be Harrison and Costa. They, they were really good against uh, Liverpool last weekend, and I think. Like we've said, the the Fulham fullbacks are there to be uh, to be got at, and if we, they can have good games, we can neutralise their um, the Fulham's threats from the fullbacks. Because when I, I watched the Fulham Arsenal game, and I, it was just like Adoy and Brian were just 
bombing on and there was just so much space in behind. So if Costa and Harrison can uh, do do something with that, then I think we're probably in for a good day. And how are you expecting the game to unfold on, on Saturday? I, th- I think we'll see it probably pretty similar to last time. Um, Fulham pro- have the majority of the ball and we'll get them on the break. I don't think he's going to revert to us uh, being like most of the championship games where we're going to have the majority of possession. I could see us in more of a uh, similar style to what we actually saw against Liverpool, just less high-paced probably. How about you, Jim? Yeah, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think Fulham will press with the same intensity, so uh, it shouldn't be as mad uh, as the Liverpool game. I don't think it's going to be a goal fest at all. Um, I think it could be one of those games that stays nil-nil for quite a while and uh, you know they're just looking for someone to make a breakthrough and we're just trying to play our football and you know trying to trying to do the same thing to them so I think it will be I think it will be closer but um, I'm, at the same time I'm confident that uh, we we have it in ourselves to to get the win so there you have it that's the all stats one we take on the Fulham game this Saturday it was kicking off at 3pm I believe so a nice Saturday fixture and we're lucky in that we're able to watch all fixtures in the next few weeks at least so that one will be on I think BT Sport right just a little bit of housekeeping firstly the tactics thread will be going up at some point tomorrow depending on when this comes out it will be out on Thursday morning at some point so if you're interested in looking at what it was that I was talking about a little bit in at times in this podcast then head over to our Twitter account and you should be able to find the tactics preview over there if you like our content and you want to get more of it, we have a Patreon channel which allows us to put bonus material up for subscribers. We have loads of things over there. We have extra podcasts. We have written stuff. We also have a lot of video analysis that goes up there. I've just done a video analysis piece looking back at the Liverpool game, picking out five areas that we could learn from from that game. So if that sounds interesting to you, head over to patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And have a look at it. Three people who have done that this week are Grant, Shana McElstrom and Adrian Shadua. Thank you for getting on board, guys. We'll be back on Monday, as always, with uh, a review episode looking... I've got that right, haven't I? Review, yes. Uh, review <laughs> episode looking back on the Fulham game, which hopefully will be uh, a good, fun episode to record. But until then, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you very much. And thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. And we'll see you on Monday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.